If you brought your Bibles, we're going to begin in uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4. Uh, it's a little bit long, so I just want to walk you through the, through the story. In the early part of Acts, the, the church is, 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 is being born. It's coming to life. It's trying to figure out exactly who it is. And in Acts chapter 3, it tells the story of Peter and John. Peter and John entered the temple uh, at about 3 o'clock for the afternoon prayer time. They entered through the beautiful gate, which was just one of the busiest and most crowded gates into the temple. And as they're entering into the gate, a man that has been lame, it said he was lame for 40 years or his whole life, is being placed at the gate. His friends bring him every day to the temple so that he can ask for money. Have you ever been in that awkward situation where you walk past somebody who is soliciting you for money? This man, lame from birth, sees Peter and John walking into the temple and calls out to them. I don't know if he says, can you spare some change? I, I don't know. But he asked them for money. It says that Peter and John looked intently at the man. You know, I don't know if you've been in one of these situations. Everyone else is walking back hurriedly where they're trying not to look and see the interaction that's about to happen. It's about to be an awkward moment. And we don't know where or how or why, but Peter and John look at the, simply look at the man and they say, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And it says that Peter reaches out his hand and takes the hand of a man who has been lame his entire life and slowly raises him to his feet and it says ankles and feet are healed. Scripture says the man jumps and leaps and begins praising God. In, in fact, he makes an all-out scene, which I think is pretty understandable, right? Crowds begin to gather. Remember, this is the busy gate of the temple. Everyone knows this guy who's been there every single day, except for now they don't recognize him, or they kind of recognize him. Because now he's jumping and dancing around and it says that he's clinging to Peter and John. It's like a Luxme hug, you know. <laughs> it's full on, unrestrained, right? And crowds begin to gather. I mean, he's making a scene. In verse 12 of chapter 3 of Acts, it says, Peter sees his opportunity, and he, he simply begins to tell the people, hey, do you think this happened because we have some power or we have some strength? Because if you do, you're wrong. And he simply teaches them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells them about the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and he calls for the crowd to repent and turn to God so that their sins would be forgiven. He proclaims the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus above all others. And this causes a scene. It doesn't take long before it says the, the temple guard, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, and the priest had this guy. He was the temple guard. And, and basically his job at the temple was to keep the peace, right? There's crowds of people coming in all the time. So he's roaming around making sure there's not any disturbances. But now if you can imagine crowds are packing around this previously lame guy who's clinging on to Peter and John. And they're, they're, they're teaching some gospel that is not what you're supposed to be teaching in the temple. And so the temple guard comes, and he doesn't know what else to do, so he arrests Peter and John. 
And he takes them before the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin was kind of like this, uh, I don't know, kind of like a Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, it, it was made up of 71 members of Pharisees and Sadducees. But, but really what you need to know is like it was just made up of the kind of the religious elite of the day. They were the wealthiest, the most intellectual, and the most powerful men of the time. And, and through the, the temple guard, like had the power to arrest you. These guys would ruin your day, your, ruin your reputation. They could ruin your life. In the temple, the Sanhedrin held all the power, all of the authority. They held all the cards. And they want to know by what authority Peter, a simple fisherman by comparison, is speaking. Again, it says, Scripture says, here he is now. He's in front of a Supreme Court. It says, Peter sees his opportunity, and again, he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells them that there's, there's actually salvation in no one else, and he even tells them to their face, the stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. And he tells the religious elite that no name under heaven by which you must be saved. And the Supreme Court is, they're stunned. <laughs> the scripture uses the word amazed, but they're, they're shocked and ticked off right? Because nobody speaks to the Supreme Court like this. They were the authority. Peter and John were nobodies. And, and they even, Scripture even says that they recognize that, that they're men without any kind of special training, yet they spoke with boldness. That word boldness occurs more than 30 times in the New Testament. It means unreserved or outspokenness. It's, it's, it's frankness. It's like Peggy, the way Peggy Myers talks to you right? I'm going to pay for that. It was, it just means blunt or, or, or maybe even it just means freedom of speech. Do you see that even, of, even in front of the authority, they, they didn't hold back, but shared the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and, the high society, they don't know what to think. Nobody had ever, it's, it's fair to say, no one had ever talked to them this way before. And they don't know what to do. They stare, staring right at Peter and John, and oh, coincidentally, the guy that's been lame his whole life is still with them, probably jam jumping or skipping or hopping or, right? Anxiously prancing around. They don't know what to do, so they attempt to silence Peter and John. They, they threaten to punish them. They even tell them, never speak of this again. Never teach in the name of Jesus ever again. And Peter and John, they, they simply just refuse to be muzzled. They, they say, we can't stop. Look at Scripture. That's what they say. They, they say. they just say, we can't stop. We can't stop telling what we have seen and heard. This is new to the Sanhedrin too. Normally they tell people what to do and it's done. And now these nobodies are refusing their authority. And honestly, they're just like, even in scripture, you get the sense that they're stumped. Like, I don't know what to do with them. And so they send them out. They actually let them go and say, don't tell anybody. And scripture goes on to say, as soon as Peter and John are freed, they return to the other believers. They return kind of to the womb of the church and they say, you won't believe what happened. 
And what's interesting, if you look at scripture, they don't talk about the guy who has been lame his whole life, receiving his legs and ankles back and jumping around. They don't even mention it. They say, you won't believe what happened. And they don't talk about the miracle. What they talk about is the boldness in front of the Sanhedrin. They say, we were nobodies, and you won't believe that we were able to tell the Supreme Court about Jesus Christ. And it says, all of the believers together praise God. And they, they even pray together. Here's what they pray in Acts chapter 4, beginning of verse 29. They say, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great, what's the word? Boldness in preaching your word. It's important to know that, like, like after this incident, they don't pray for safety. They don't pray for relief or rescue or somehow another assignment. They don't make excuses. They don't say, well, we didn't know. We were just fishermen. They don't shrink back in fear. In the face of persecution and difficulty and threats, they lean in. Give us boldness in preaching your word. It reminds me of another bold preacher. His name was Sam Jones. I think I maybe even have a picture of him. It was near the the end of the 19th century. The Methodist minister, Sam Jones, was regarded as one of the South's most influential evangelists and preachers. He was famous for saying, quiet your meanness. That was, kind of his, that was kind of his phrase. So parents, just tuck that one away. Tweet that out. He loved to speak out against sinfulness and drunkenness and alcohol. And, and he spoke out against dances and especially the evil, evil, evil theater. Uh, he loved to direct his, mission, uh, his messages to men often regarded men as the most difficult demographic to reach. And I don't, I don't know that a lot's changed, frankly. On a hot night in May 1885, Jones was speaking at a tent revival in downtown Nashville, not far from here, when a rough-hewn riverboat captain walked in named Captain Tom. I think I have a picture of him, too. Captain Tom was a wealthy 44-year-old businessman. He, he owned a major riverboat company on the Cumberland as well as various unsavory saloons and side businesses that Sam Jones would have definitely not approved of. Captain Tom was not a believer and likely came with some friends to see what all the fuss was about and to heckle the good reverend. But something unexpected happened instead. Jones preached the gospel and the boldness of his words stirred something in Captain Tom's life. He became a man who looked to a higher God for his calling. And there and then, in that very night, he pledged to use his wealth and influence to construct a building large enough to hold every person. He wanted to ensure that the people of Nashville would have a place to worship together. And over the next seven years, uh, Captain Tom committed more than $100,000 in 1880 money, which is like $3 million today. And in 1892, with Jones' help, Captain Tom opened the brand new Union Gospel Tabernacle. I think I have a picture. 
The new church became the beating heart of Nashville, sometimes called the Mother Church. It stands downtown today. And although he refused the honor throughout his entire life, at Captain Tom's funeral, Sam Jones renamed the Union Gospel Tabernacle after his friend. He called it, you've already guessed, the Ryman. Captain Tom Ryman. Just like Peter and John, the boldness of two ordinary men changed the face of a city. Here's what I think. It's time for that kind of boldness again. My friend Dave Clayton is the, is the pastor of, the church, uh, of a church in downtown called Ethos. Um, Dave's an awesome guy. He and his wife, uh, Sydney, Dave, they've got three boys, so pray for them. Uh, their youngest son, is uh, his name is Judah. And uh, Dave is just an awesome, faithful guy, was, was called to plant a church in downtown Nashville. And, and he tells the story of praying one day, of really just praying for the city and asking God to, to give him direction for their church and, and what, what should they be about. And, and, and he tells the story of just kind of receiving as he's praying, he just kind of receives this vision of, of like, okay, Dave, what would you do if, if your son was lost? What would you do, Dave? How would you respond? What would you do if Judah was lost? And Dave just tells, like, man, I, I, would, I would quit my job. I, I, would, I would turn every effort and every intention of my life to finding Judah again, right? Like any parent would. He says, I, I would waken the search parties. And I wouldn't rest until he was found. Dave tells us he's having this revelation. He receives the same kind of, kind of message from the Lord. The Lord just simply tells him, he says, Dave, my city's filled with lost children. Nashville and the surrounding area are filled with my lost children. And Dave said, it just really occurred to him that his job was to wake up the search parties. There are two scriptures that I just want to share briefly with you that kind of highlight this need. In Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I love that sentiment in Joel that says, to don't, don't just tear your clothes in mourning, but, but look inside of yourself and rend your hearts. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it simply says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will hear their land. So my friend Dave at Ethos had this had this powerful vision of, okay, it's time to awaken the search party for, for the lost in the city of Nashville to, to seek out the lost children of God and, and go after them. And, and he tells a story of going to a prayer night at his church. And, and he said, I went because I was the pastor, not because I wanted to go, uh, which like, okay, yeah, that's, that's maybe more honestly than we need, but okay, we understand. 
And he said he was struggling with this, this mission of awaken the search party for the lost of Nashville. What would that look like and how could that happen? And, and he shared a little bit of what he had been receiving from God. And he had a friend come up to him, a friend that worked in the city government of Nashville. And he said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can actually get a list of every name and address of every single person that lives in the greater Nashville area which I didn't know that you could do that. And I don't know that Dave knew that you could do that. So somehow they went and they got the list. Um, I don't know. I mean, our population changes so much. At that time, it was probably a million and a half people in the greater Nashville area. And even at that night, they, they talked about getting this list and they committed as a church to awaken the search parties, to awaken Nashville. And they said, what if we had a citywide movement of prayer and fasting focused on unifying the church to, to strategically pray and bless the city one person at a time? And last year, for the first time ever, we as Aspen Grove, we, we participated with more than 300 other churches in what's called Awaken Nashville. As a part of Awaken Nashville, we prayed for every single, you think like, like there were one and a half million names on this list, right? And they had a packet of 15 names, and they gave out every single one. Our small church together, you can look at the, the painting we have in the hallway. We prayed for more than 3,000 people by name here at Aspen Grove. We sent cards to them. Many of you contributed to this and, and were a big part of it. And I want you to know that we're doing it again. That really this entire month of January is to prepare us for Awaken Nashville 2020. Uh, right now, at this very moment, more than 440 churches have committed. They've committed to a citywide movement of prayer and fasting focused on unifying the church to pray and bless the city one person at a time. And so as we enter 20 and 20, I, I just want to, uh, I want you to know that this next month is going to be about us preparing you to pray and fast for our city. I want you to know that, like, I, I know that every preacher in the whole land right now is doing Vision 2020 as their, as their message today, right? And I want you to know that in 2020, Aspen Grove we exist to strengthen marriages. We're excited that we're, we're going to do more for marriages this year than we ever have. And, and we see that need and we think it's super important. We're going to do more to help families and to help parents this year than we ever have. And we just see an obvious need there that, that we can fill and we want to lean into. We, we in 2020 are going to care for those who need help and we want we want to we, we want to encourage and lift up and serve and worship and we want to want you to grow and become the best version of yourself but also and and mostly I want you to hear this in 2020 Aspen Grove Christian Church exists to awaken search parties to bring the lost children home to seek and save the lost and the result of that God-honoring effort, you know what the result of an effort like that is? Parties. It is. Look what it says in Luke 15, verse 7. 
It says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In 2020, through Awaken Nashville and through our mission as a church, I want to make some parties in heaven. How about you? If you go back to the story of Peter and John from the beginning, they raise a lame man. They stand boldly, like these nobodies stand boldly before the Supreme Court. And they, they, they don't shrink back even when things get difficult. They, they lean in and pray for more boldness in preaching the gospel. But their prayer goes beyond that. And uh, it, says, uh, it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place, what? shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with, there's that word again, boldness. Since Awaken 2019, pastors have been meeting together um, every month to pray, to pray for our city specifically. And uh, it's been a couple of months, but I was a part of one of these, these, these kind of like pastor prayer meetings for the city uh, we met at the Ethos offices, which are, are maybe like a half a mile from where the Union uh, Gospel Tabernacle sits. And I came together with a room of maybe 30 other pastors from around the city, and, and we had committed to pray for an hour and a half. It was just a, you know, uh, not, I don't know why we picked an hour and a half. We just said, hey, we're going to pray for an hour and a half for our city. And I don't know if you know what that's like to, to I mean, first off, pray for an hour and a half, that's that's kind of a, that's not my normal prayer time. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it just was a long time. And then, hey, you're in a room full of like 20 or 30 other pastors, and you're all praying together. And so, like, this was, this was interesting and kind of energetic and kind of different and confusing. And, but we were going to do it together. And so we kind of had some directed prayer. We kind of had some silent prayer. But there became a season of our prayer time that, that like, we were all kind of bored and done kind of praying silently and kind of praying by ourselves. And so I don't know if you can imagine this, but a room of 20 or 30 of us, we all just started praying out loud together. Um, and it was really, really fascinating and kind of interesting because we would pray together, but occasionally, like, even in our, like, corporate prayer together, one voice would rise up above somehow rise up above the others. And it was like the spirit would kind of point us or lean us in a direction. And then these other voices would follow that voice. Like these other prayers would line up behind it. Like we prayed for teenagers and like, man, that just, that kind of rose up. We prayed for our school system and our teachers that, that wrote, you know, like it just followed this like incredible, like spirit filled stream of praying and all of it directed towards our city. And we had a scripture for the day that, that kind of guided our time together. And it was, it was Psalm 99. And it was a scripture that, w- that we just it, we kind of kept coming back to in our prayer time. We kept leaning on it and kept, kept leaning into it. And it simply says, the first verse of Psalm 99 says, The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. And then what happened next is, honestly, like it's a little bit hard for me to, to tell you and explain to you. In that moment, praying bold prayers over the city of Nashville, 
less than a mile from downtown, the building we were in shook. I would say maybe shuddered. When we read the words, let the whole earth quake, thinking about and praying for the lost of our city, the building we were in shook. I know what you're probably thinking. It was probably just a car accident in the street outside or uh, a seismic anomaly. Maybe you live over here by the quarry where they blast every now and then. Maybe you're even thinking, and maybe it was a part of your tradition to think that this kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. And all I can tell you is, like, keep thinking that way and you'll be right. I think it's time again. What I would want you to know is that the power is still here. If only we would, as Paul suggests at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, if only we would keep on speaking boldly for him as we should. Our world, our families, our city, the mission of God desperately needs men and women who through the power of the Holy Spirit will boldly proclaim the, Jesus, the name of Jesus and make the ground shake. What I would tell you is that there's no, no greater mission, no greater resolution, no greater purpose for the church than to seek and save the lost. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. And uh, I, it's been put on my heart today. Uh, it's been pretty fascinating over the, the past year, the number of people that I've met with and talked with who, who really don't, don't know what they believe or they have some touch. Some, some like faith or church touch somewhere in their background, but mostly it wasn't a good experience, and they, they've fallen a long way from that. Uh, I met with a couple uh, uh, just a couple of months ago, and uh, they, they had some faith touch in their background, but really that, that hadn't been who they were for a long time. And, and I, I don't know how I got the opportunity, just had the opportunity to sit down and have lunch with them, and the very first question they asked was, is this thing real? And what was great about their question was that it was not an antagonistic question. It wasn't, is this thing real? It was a hopeful question. It was an optimistic question. Can this be real? I think that's our purpose. I think when we say Aspen Grove exists to grow followers of Jesus Christ, it's to rend hearts, to see every man, woman, and child return to him, every tribe and tongue and nation and people. And maybe you sit here today and, and maybe you don't know what you believe. Maybe you haven't committed to, to life in Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't had a relationship with him or maybe you don't even know where to start or what that would look like. First off, I want you to know two things. One, that you're welcome here. You're welcome here. And two, I want you to know that we haven't forgot about you. That we're praying for you. And that when you're ready, we'd love to talk more, explore more, share with you the truth of Jesus Christ that we know. 
So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss you to a time of communion. Um, I hope there's something stirring in you. I hope you can see the awakening that's happening in this city, in this nation. And I hope that you'll commit to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father God, you're surrounded by honor and majesty. Let the whole earth tremble and quake before your holiness. Let us rend our hearts and return to you with all our heart. Give us great boldness in preaching your word. And let us know the joy of the lost being found. Father, may we, as we enter into this new year, this new season, may we as a church embrace your mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we're able to be here today and we remember his blood and his body broken and poured out for us. Father God, compel us and move us. Awaken us. We love you, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen.